Welcome to The Kinked Wire, the interventional radiology podcast from SIR Publications. You can learn more on our website, sirweb.org slash kinkedwire. This episode provides audio abstracts of papers published in the June 2022 issue of SIR's Journal of Vascular and Interventional Radiology. You can find the full papers on jvir.org. My name is Santa Herwald. Hello, my name is J.C. Panagidis, and I'm a third-year medical student at Harvard Medical School. I'll be reading the abstract titled, Outcomes of Stroke Thrombectomy, Performed by Interventional Radiologists versus Neurointerventional Physicians by Saxon Colleagues. Purpose, to test the hypothesis that interventional radiologists and neurointerventional physicians have similar outcomes of endovascular stroke thrombectomy, which could be used to improve the availability of thrombectomy. Materials and Methods. Eight hospitals providing endovascular thrombectomy performed by interventional radiologists and neurointerventional physicians at the same institution submitted sequential retrospective data limited to the era of modern devices. Good clinical outcomes defined as a 90-day modified Rankin score of 0 to 2 and technically successful revascularization were compared between the specialties after adjusting for treating hospital, patient age, stroke severity, Alberta Stroke Program early community tomography score, time from symptom onset to door, and clot location. Propensity score matching was used to compare the outcomes. A total of 1,009 patients were evaluated, including 622 patients treated by interventional radiologists and 387 patients treated by neurointerventional physicians. Results. The median time from stroke onset to puncture was 245 versus 253 minutes with a p-value of 0.49. The technically successful revascularization rate was 81.8% versus 82.4% with the p-value of 0.81, and the good clinical outcome rate was 45.5% versus 50.1% with a p-value of 0.16. After adjusting, the physician specialty was not a significant predictor of good clinical outcomes. After matching, a modified Rankin score of 0 to 2 was present in 47.7% of interventional radiologists treated patients and 51.1% of neurointerventional physicians treated patients with a p-value of 0.366. Conclusions. There were no significant differences in the successful revascularization rate and good clinical outcomes between interventional radiologists and neurointerventional physicians. The outcomes of endovascular thrombectomy performed by interventional radiologists were similar to those performed by neurointerventional physicians as determined using previously published trials and registries. This may be useful for addressing coverage and access to stroke interventions. Hello, my name is Kara Musadif, and I am a third-year medical student at the Idaho College of Osteopathic Medicine. I will be reading the abstract titled, Effects of the Cerebral Aneurysm Treatment Method on Coil Packing Density and its Relationship with the Osteum Area by Kasim and colleagues. Purpose. To test the following hypotheses, A. Balloon or stent assistance increases coil packing density in the endovascular treatment of intracranial aneurysms, and B. Coil packing density correlates to osteum area and aneurysm volume. Materials and methods. This retrospective study included 60 aneurysms, 54 ruptured and 6 unruptured, treated with simple coiling for 18 aneurysms, balloon-assisted coiling for 7 aneurysms, or stent-assisted coiling for 35 aneurysms at the author's institution between August 2017 and December 2019. Aneurysm volume and osteum area measurements were obtained from three-dimensional digital subtraction and geography images using commercial software. Coil sizes were retrieved from patient files, and coil volume measurements were obtained from www.angiocalc.com. 
analysis of covariance, multivariate covariance analysis, and Pearson correlation analyses were performed. Results. The median value for aneurysm volume, coil volume, coil packing density, and ostium area was 63.4 millimeters cubed, 23.13 millimeters cubed, 33.29%, and 10.7 millimeters squared, respectively. Multivariate analysis showed that the coil packing density values were not significantly different among the treatment groups, although ostium area significantly differed between the simple coiling and stent-assisted coiling groups. Pearson correlations showed that similar to aneurysm volume, ostium area was negatively correlated with coil packing density. Conclusion. The coil packing density value in cerebral aneurysms treated with balloon-assisted coiling or stent-assisted coiling did not differ from that in aneurysms treated with simple coiling. Hello, my name is Ayman Mustafa, and I'm a third-year medical student from the University at Buffalo. I'll be reading the abstract titled Covered Stents for Treatment of Visceral Artery Aneurysms, a multicenter study by Xu and colleagues. Purpose to evaluate the safety and efficacy of covered stents for visceral artery aneurysms. Materials and methods. The multicenter retrospective study included patients with visceral artery aneurysms who were treated with covered stents between January 2015 and December 2020. A total of 65 patients with 70 visceral artery aneurysms were included. Of those 70 visceral artery aneurysms, 86% were classified as true aneurysms, and the remaining 14% were classified as pseudoaneurysms. A total of 48 patients, or 74%, were asymptomatic. Patient demographics, endovascular treatments, and follow-up results were analyzed. Results All patients received covered stents. The mean diameter was 2.9 cm for symptomatic aneurysms, and 2.5 centimeters for asymptomatic aneurysms. 89% of the asymptomatic aneurysms had a saccular shape. The mean distance between the ostium of the artery in which the aneurysm occurred and the aneurysm was 3.9 centimeters. Additional coil embolization was used in seven aneurysms, or 10%. During the procedure, 68 aneurysms, or 97%, were completely excluded while two aneurysms, or 3%, had a type 1b endoleak. After a mean follow-up of 20 months, all patients were asymptomatic. Four endoleaks were recorded and left for close observation. Four stents had mild restenosis, while the rest of the stents were patent. Conclusions Placement of covered stents in patients with visceral artery aneurysms excluded aneurysms and maintained artery patency. Hello, my name is Alana Benishay, and I am a fourth-year medical student at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. I will be reading abstract number four, titled, Transarterial Yttrium-90 Radioembolization for Unresectable Intrahepatic Cholangiocarcinoma, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis by Shards and colleagues. Purpose, to investigate the overall efficacy and survival profile of Yttrium-90, or Y-90, Radioembolization for Unresectable Intrahepatic Cholangiocarcinoma, or ICC. Materials and Methods A systematic literature review and meta-analysis was completed using a random effects model. 
Studies describing the use of Y90 for unresectable ICC were included. The disease control rate, downstaged to resectable rate, cancer antigen 19-9 or CA19-9 response rate, pooled median overall survival, pooled median progression-free survival, and mean reported survival rate ranging from 3 to 36 months were evaluated. Results. 21 studies detailing a total of 921 patients were included. The overall disease control rate was 82.3%, with an I squared of 81%. In 11% of the cases, patients were downstaged to being surgically resectable, with an I squared of 78%. The CA199 response rate was 67.2%, with an I squared of 60%. From the time of radioembolization, progression-free survival was 7.8 months with an I-squared of 94%, and median overall survival was 12.7 months with an I-squared of 62%. Lastly, the mean overall reported survival proportions were 84% at 3 months, 69% at 6 months, 47% at 12 months, 31% at 18 months. 30% at 24 months, 21% at 30 months, and 5% 36 months. Conclusion. Radioembolization with Y90 for undetectable ICC results in substantial downstaging, disease control, and survival. Hello. My name is Anushti Rai, and I'm a fourth-year medical student at Chapman Institute of Medical Sciences in India. I will be reading the abstract title, Utility of the Renal Nephrometry Scoring System in Predicting Complications and Outcomes of Percutaneous Microwave Abination of Renal Tumors by Lee and colleagues. Purpose, to assess the utility of the radius, exophytic or endophytic position, nearness to collecting system of sinus, anterior or posterior position, and location related to polar lines, or Renal Nephrometry Scoring System at Predicting Adverse Events and Outcomes in Percutaneous Microwave Ovulation, or MWA, of Renal Tumors. Materials and Methods A retrospective review of 116 patients who underwent microwave ovulation from 2004 to 2018 at two large university hospitals was conducted. Patient demographics and tumor characteristics were collected. The renal nephrometry scores were calculated and procedure-related adverse events were stratified into major and minor corresponding to the Society of Interventional Radiology classification of class C or higher. Technical and oncologic outcomes were based on follow-up magnetic resonance imaging and computer tomography scans after ablation. Results. The mean renal score was 6.6, .6, ranging between 4 and 11 and the mean tumor size was 24 mm. Follow-up ranged between 16 and 161 weeks with a median of 50 weeks and a mean of 65 weeks. Oncologic control was achieved in 96% of patients. The major and minor adverse events were 8.6% and 17% respectively. The mean renal score for patients with recurrent or residual tumors was higher than that for patients without disease recurrence, measuring 8.2 versus 6.5 respectively. However, 
In a multivariate analysis, the renal score was not found to be an independent predictor of oncologic outcomes. Conclusions The renal nephrometry score has minimal utility for predicting outcomes and adverse events in microwave regulation of renal tumors. The inconsistent nature of renal nephrometry scoring in percutaneous ablation procedures underscores the need for an ablation-specific risk stratification system. Hello, my name is Sean Tengi, and I'm a fourth-year medical student at the Lewis Cat School of Medicine at Temple University. I will be reading the abstract titled, Treatment of Severe Renal Artery Stenosis with Acute Kidney Injury Requiring Hemodialysis by Percutaneous Transluminal Renal Angioplasty and Stent Implantation by Nebo and colleagues. Purpose, to evaluate the benefit of percutaneous transluminal renal angioplasty with stent implantation among patients with renal artery stenosis who become dialysis-dependent due to acute deterioration of renal function. Materials and Methods This was a single-center retrospective cohort study of all renal artery stent placement procedures performed from 2003 to 2019 in a referral hospital. A total of 109 procedures were performed in 92 patients. 11 patients, or 12%, presented with aneuric acute kidney injury secondary to high-grade renal artery stenosis which was defined as intraluminal stenosis above 70% per angiography, and underwent renal artery stent placement after starting chemodialysis. Data collected included demographic parameters, medical background, creatinine, blood pressure, indication for intervention, procedure characteristics, adverse events, and long-term data including dialysis treatment and mortality. Among the dialysis-dependent acute kidney injury group, outcome measures were defined based on the post-procedural improvement in kidney function and discontinuation of dialysis. Results. Following renal artery stent placement, 8 out of 11 patients, or 73%, demonstrated improved kidney function and were able to discontinue dialysis. The median time on dialysis was 18 days before renal artery stent placement and 4.5 days to recovery of kidney function after the time of intervention. Conclusions Patients with atherosclerotic renal artery stenosis who develop renal artery stenosis-related acute kidney injury may benefit from renal artery stent placement even after several weeks of anuria and dialysis dependence. We thank all the medical students who helped with this episode. My name is Daniel Kim. I'm a fourth year medical student at Edward Via College of Osteopathic Medicine, and I was your audio editor for this episode. The research from this episode appears in the June 2022 issue of JVIR, and you can visit jvir.org for the full papers, other audio content, and much more.